Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. You know, through this uh, project and uh, going through everything that we've been through, one of the things I've realized is that things are real and things are fake. There are fake things that look extremely, extremely real. If you're not familiar with this whole idea of deep fakes, there's now the ability for people to take pictures and videos and place you in places you've never been because of Photoshop, the internet, and all these different things that we have. It's really hard to know what is real and what is fake. I can go to Home Depot and buy a fake Kohler-looking, just-like-it model. Well, actually, more on Amazon, but we won't talk about that. Amazon, made somewhere else, not really made. It looks just like it, but is it really the real thing? When I take and hear news on the radio or news on TV or news on the Internet, is it real? We have a really hard time being able to understand what is real and what is not. Photoshop has changed the world, but there's also something else that's changing the world. And that's artificial intelligence, AI. AI is getting so far progressed at this point that the line is becoming to blur between what is human and what is computers. Uh, Recently, I read an article in the San Francisco Chronicle that wrote about a man whose fiance died from liver disease. As his fiance died, there's a software that uses AI technology to create hyper-realistic chatbots and created the experience of speaking with his late fiance. With some text messages and words and phraseology, he was able to put this into this software. And a chatbot is you're able to type and talk, and the responses that came back sounded and responded the same way that his fiance did. In some ways, you could see this could be helpful, someone who's grieving, to be able to so-and-so talk to that person. But the question is, is it real? It can move into dark places where we could even start to create our own mates, start to create the perfect spouse for us, the perfect friend. We can create and choose what we want, but they aren't humans. They're computers. We could use this in terrible ways to now fake people. We can fake conversations and say it is true. We can make allegations and use AI to replicate that person saying something, even though he or she never saw it. Whether we receive the information as real or not is going to become so hard for us to do. When I was in seminary years ago, I was in a bioethics class. Years ago. I'm not going to tell you how many years ago I was in seminary, but years ago. Years ago I was in seminary, and I was in bioethics class at one of the top bioethics schools in our nation in the world. And I sat down with the most brilliant of minds, and we started to ask questions about what is ethical concerning our bioethics. And one of the things that they talked about was that it is projected by the year 2050 that we will be able to download the human brain. That the human brain is simply a number, numbers if you will, electronic pulses, that they are going to be able to download memories and thoughts. And the questions in the ethics was this, if you can download someone's brain and their stories and their memories, and you take that and now upload that into an Android that looks and talks like your friend, your son, your daughter, your spouse, is it real? And just because we can, should we? 
Crazy to think about. I sat in that class thinking, this is the craziest class I ever took before. Where's like First Timothy? You know, like, what do I... But to think about the fact that we are moving into a blurred line of what is real and what is not is scary. The truth is, this isn't something new. In Jesus's day, they had the same question mark about what is real and what is fake. We tend to think of our advanced technology and how far we have become, come since the last 2,000 years as a human race, that we are the pinnacle of everything. But if you know anything about history, we're not. We're just on our own journey. And Jesus's day had the same questions. What is real and what is fake? In their day, they would make fake things that, that looked real, and they would use that to make quick money. They would do fake measuring for money, and they'd have the poundage, and they'd fake the weights. And so that the weights were wrong, and so that these people would have to pay more than what they really should. It's kind of like if you scan something at Piggly Wiggly, and you scanned it, and it went up as more expensive than what it should be because they could hack into a computer. That's what was happening in Jesus' day. In his day, there were fake teachers, and they're fake religious people. They looked like they were real on the outside. They did everything right. They had the clothes. They went to the places. They settled the right words. But they're fake. They're false teachers saying the wrong thing. They're giving the wrong information about God to make a quick dollar. In our world, the same thing happens among the religious people. You know this. You see the news. You know what's going on. That there is so much in misinformation. And the further that people move away, away from the word of God, fake things start to come in. So friends, I'm going to say this to you now. And hopefully this is going to get an amen and a round of applause. Not for me, but for God. We are not going to teach anything that's not in the Bible. We teach the Bible and the word of God. Because that is what is true. We speak the word of God. We speak the truth. I have lots of crazy ideas, and you probably should never hear them. <laughs> what is true is the Word of God. There are ideas and thoughts, and we can process those things. But the Word of God is the Word of God. And I'm too stupid and too scared to try to teach anything else. So I would rather go to what I know is true, and that is the Scriptures. In those days, you'd think it would be as that simple as well, but it wasn't. False teaching starts to move around, and then this crazy thing happens. There's this new guy named Jesus who comes into the world and says, everything you heard about the Old Testament, I've now come to fulfill it. I've completed it. And now I have something new for you. So as Jesus enters into the world, both culturally and within the confines of religion, everything started getting shifted around. And so once again, people are talking. But people didn't have internet. We know this, of course. Uh, they would talk. They would be in the market squares. They would have conversations, and they'd start to say, well, you know what I know about Jesus? I was at that. Jesus did not do that. I saw it was all fake, and they would say this. Another one would say, no, I saw Jesus do this. I saw it with my own two eyes. That guy didn't walk. Then all of a sudden, the guy's walking. Like, I saw it with my own two eyes. And so all this misinformation is getting passed around the entire community. And so the question is, is this all real? It's one of our top questions right now in our world when it pertaining to Christianity. We're in a moment right now of deconstructionalism where people are saying, everything I learned was all fake. What is real? And so how we find what is real is we go back to the word of God, and we're going to do some very simple exploration of a scripture. Our new series called Prove It is a study of the book of 1 John. If you've never read 1 John, it's one of my favorite books. It's super short. I encourage and challenge you to read the word of God for yourself. You can read it in, in a matter of a half an hour. 
You can read it and reread it and reread it. Every time you read 1 John, you're going to pick up something new that's beautiful, something that you never thought of before. It's a rich book written by one of Jesus' disciples. And today we're in 1 John 1 through 4. And, and John's going to set up for some, us this entire book. I know what is real because I was there. 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. He's referring to Jesus there. The life appeared, we have seen it and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. There is so much false teaching that was going on during this time. It was all over the place. All this misinformation about who Jesus was. Where did he go? What did he do? Was he really the son of God? There's a group of people that say he was a really good prophet. He was a good man. He was not the son of God. There's a group of people over here who say he's an absolute insane man. He was not at all the son of God. Everything he did was fake. Some people over here said he worked for the devil, and the reason he could do miracles is because he was tied into, demon into de demonic powers. The group over here said, uh, no, he was the son of God. And so all this misinformation is being passed around our community. There was fake news. What is real? I, I don't even know what's real anymore. So imagine if you we're not a Jewish person walking in through on your trade route to Jerusalem, and, and this whole town is a buzz. Let's say Slinger and Washington County is a buzz about some great thing that's happened. You're hearing 25 different stories, and you're like, "What's real? How do I know this guy really did this? How how do I even process all this information?" Because the guy I'm buying my apples from says Jesus was fake, and my grapefruit man said he was real. Apples, grapefruits, which one, right? So John makes this statement. I want you to listen to this again. He says this, I have seen the eternal God live as a human, as Jesus. Listen to this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and our hands have touched, we proclaim concerning the word of life. John starts this entire book to say this, with all the false teachers, I'm not just writing another letter. I'm telling you, I was there, man. I was there. I heard him. I touched him. I'm legit. I'm a firsthand witness to what happened. When you think of any sort of court case that starts things out and people call witnesses to the sand, you always have to ask the question, are they lying or not? You know, old school, they'd actually have a Bible out. They put the hand in the Bible. I don't, I don't think they would do that anymore, at least on judge shows on TV. But they'd put their hand in the Bible, right? And they'd swear that they're about to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but truth, so help them God. Do they really tell the truth? When you watch these court cases, is that witness really telling the truth? And then the witness who seems to have the most power is the one who is actually literally there. That person walks up to the stand and says, um, I was there. Here's, there's a record of me on the film sitting at the place this happened. I watched him or her do that. Uh, I know that what you see on that video is real because I was there. That holds so much weight to, uh, I heard somebody talk about it at some point at some place. I think it might be real. I'm hoping it's real. 
eh, 50-50, in jail, out of jail, it's not my problem. It's like the person who has the witness, if you are the one in trouble, you want an eyewitness to be able to testify that you saw it and it wasn't you. If you are the person who did the crime, not that any of you would do that, of course, maybe Nick, but if you're the one who did the crime, you're hoping nobody's there who has an eyewitness to watch this happen because their power of the ability to say that I was there is so huge. John says this, I have so much weight and authority to be able to speak about what I'm about to share with you because I was there. I saw him. I literally touched the Lord Jesus. You guys didn't. Maybe you saw him. I ate with him. I slept next to him. I wept with him. I saw the miracle. I saw him on a cross. I saw the risen Lord. After he rose again, I ate with him again later. I am telling you guys this is legit. I was there. And the people who knew John and were in the area would know that John was one of the disciples, knew that he was there and one of the eyewitnesses. So the statement to begin everything, I saw it. It's not full of a bunch of instructions that John made up. Because this weight that he's carrying with us, is, I want to teach you something here. This is something that is so huge going forward because not only am I sharing I was with him, I'm not making this up. I want to pass on to you what he taught me because he taught us this. Now I'm telling you the same thing because when he died, he told us in Matthew 28, though they didn't have the book at that time, but that's where we have it, right? In Matthew 28, he says, Jesus' last instructions to go make disciples throughout all the nations. And so he told me to do it. I was there and now I'm doing it. So do you believe me? That is a lot of evidence for a book. What other historical book in our human history has more evidence of proof of people who were alive and actually experienced things, both inside of the Bible and then also extracurricular writings, than the Word of God? Their eye testament, eyewitnesses over and over again, proof that these men lived outside of scriptures, proof of historians who taught and wrote for Greece and for Rome that this was a real movement that really happened. And John is now saying to you guys, I was there. The beginning of Christianity was completely based on this. You're sitting here today because a group of people didn't tweet, hey, saw Jesus, hashtag awesome, hashtag healed people, hashtag born again. Like that wasn't what's happening. What happened is that they go to the marketplace and as they came into the marketplace and people are hearing about this master and they saw this God man come and say, I am the son of God. And then to the disciples who were with him and saw him, not that he was just a prophet or a good teacher, what they talked about all the time was the resurrection. So these people would come around and say, I saw the risen Jesus. I saw him. I was there. I ate with him. I was on a road walking, and all of a sudden, this guy popped up next to us, starts asking these questions, talking about stuff. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know what's happening? And all of a sudden, poof, it was Jesus, and then he was gone. And so all these stories are being shared throughout here, and the word is spreading like wildfire that Jesus wasn't just a good guy. He was the son of God. He was the Messiah that the Jewish people were waiting for this whole time. And so John is saying, I've got information that I heard directly from the source, and I'm here to give this to you today. I was there when he did that. Last week, I had an opportunity, or two weeks ago, excuse me, an opportunity of a lifetime. I went to the Deer District for game six of the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, you weren't there. He was there. 
Sorry, me and my 65,000 other friends didn't have time for you, but <laughs> great opportunity of a lifetime. And I, I've been a Bucks fan my whole life. I'm a huge basketball fan to play. I just love basketball. And I didn't go to any other ones, and I wanted to go to this. And so I went down, game six, into the Deer District. And I've been watching this on TV the whole time. If you guys watched it on TV at all or saw in the news that sea of people where there's no way you're getting to the bathroom, I was there, it's true. When you heard the crowd roar, I was there. I couldn't hear myself scream. When it was so tight, I'm like, oh, COVID, please, no. Like, <laughs> I had that feeling. When I got to jump up and down, when I saw the last shot miss and Chris Middleton grabs the rebound and there's no foul and they shot the confetti cannons, I was literally 30 yards from the big screen that you saw on the TV when they put the camera across. I've never had a feeling like that in my life and I was there. Everything you saw on TV is nothing like what I saw because I was there. I got to cheer with 65,000 fans as my team for the first time in 50 years won the National World Championship. I was there. That's what John is saying to you today in this book. I was there. I'm going to give you details and talk about things that maybe you haven't heard in the streets because I was there. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus and give you instructions. Maybe you didn't hear at the marketplace because I was there. I'm going to give you so much energy and love and power in this one book of the Bible. I want you to understand with all of my heart who my master is because I'm there. That's how this book starts. As an eyewitness of the Deer District, it was the craziest, most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. And I would love it and do it all over again because I was there. And that's the weight that the testimony that John has. He moves on into verse number two in this passage. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father, which the Father has prepared to us. Through Jesus, eternal life entered time, and John got to be with him. Then John's teaching this and helping us understand this, that Jesus was with God from the beginning. In fact, in the book of John, we say he starts at the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word of God is Jesus. And so that reference there is referring to Jesus. And the Word of God, the action of God, Jesus, is the eternal life that we've been waiting for. He really is who he says that he was. And the larger message is this. I was there. I was there to witness that Jesus, the one who we've been waiting for, I can testify to you that eternal life, that Jesus risen from the grave is real. I saw him. When I want to look at anything outside of what's happening in the marketplace, you can listen to things, but guys, I don't know if that's false news. I'm telling you that I was there. And John's teaching it. In our day, in many days, the question is the Bible's validity. Is it real? Can you trust this book? Like, it was written by men. It was a long time ago. Things get messed up. How do we know this is true? How do we know that the Bible is even worth your time? Now, that is a whole sermon series in and of itself. So we won't go that. So let me just summarize for the sake of our message today. The Bible has been proven and the manuscripts have been shown over and over and over again to be completely and utterly legitimate. That there's been more work, more scrutiny, more time, more effort 
there has been more word, nay, letter work on every letter within the word of God than any other writing at any other time. And it is legit. It has been proven as they carbon date papers and look at these manuscripts and they put these together that as they start to piece all these things, as history has shown us, not that the Bible is not true, not as technology shows us more. It's not showing us the Bible's not true. It's showing us more and more that the Bible is true. And at the same time, There are manuscripts that are out there taught and written by false teachers that as they put them together, they find out that they are not true. So how do you know which books got included in the Bible and which ones should be or shouldn't be? The ones which are collected today, scholars for generation upon generation upon generation, hundreds and hundreds of years have been putting all these manuscripts together. And if there's one little even questioning inkling of something that might have skirted into a writing that's not true, it was removed and not used. The word of God that we have today is complete as it should be. And I just believe it's about my God. If my God can make a world, I think he can make a book that we're supposed to read. I'm just going to say that now. I'm going to throw it out there. Uh, I think he can do it. And the word of God has been so overly scrutinized in a good way so that we have what is supposed to be. Now, to say that, there's a lot of versions and a lot of things. I'm not going to talk about versions and which ones are good or bad. Again, side note for a different story. Nick will teach that class. What I am saying is this. The original manuscript, the word in which it was, the pieces that we have together, that is what is true. And in our language... Our language has barriers. Our language sometimes has issues with transferring words of Greek and words of Hebrew. And sometimes we lose a lot. And that's why you'll hear us teach and say, in the Greek it says this, or in the Hebrew, because we don't have the same meanings of some beautiful words that that language has. Or, such as the word love, which we're going to get into in this book, there's too many words for our word love. We use, I love tacos and I love my dog. Like, which one is love? I love my wife, I love God. I love sports cars, I love the bucks, I love Jesus. It's a differing use of word, but when they used a word such as love, they had a direct meaning. And so the word of God as we have it in the original manuscripts are what it's supposed to be. And so Jesus, in that word that we have, is legitimate. Again, the legitimacy of who actually saw Jesus was the key. And so as we move on to the resurrection, John was there. John was at the cross. He saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus rise again. He is who he says that he is. So we move to John 1, 3 through 4. We proclaim to you that we have, what we've seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And your fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Jesus actually hung out with people. Sometimes in our stories and sometimes in our way we see things, we see Jesus off on the side, in our minds sometimes, right? Like, Because for us, doesn't Jesus sometimes feel, or our relationship with God, doesn't he feel sometimes really far away? But sometimes then he feels really close. Kind of depends where our spiritual life is, how we define how we see our Jesus. But the truth is, Jesus went away to pray, but he was with people all the time. And so surrounded by people, he had relationship with it. In so many ways, I can see John now, an old man. This, was written, this book was written late in his life, an old man. He's writing this letter. He's so deeply aware of how close he is, not only to the Lord when he was alive, but how close he is to seeing him again soon. 
So he writes down like an old sage, an old wise man. He wants to give us all of his information. He wants to just say, guys, I want to tell you everything right now. I'm going to start writing this down. I want you to hear this. Please hear me. I've seen this. I've had fellowship with him, and I want you to have that same fellowship with him. So he starts to pass on everything he has seen, and he's beckoning us. He's beckoning you today to have the same relationship with Jesus as the one who saw and walked and ate and talked with them. Do you believe that's possible? Is it possible that you can have the same relationship with the living God, that the one who literally ate dinner with him, you can have that? Is it possible that you let go so much of yourself that your relationship with Jesus is so intense that you have the ability to have the same thing that John has? Because John, who's come before us, is saying, I want you to have it. I want you to know what I know. I want you to be in what I'm in. I want you to feel what I feel. I want you to know what it's like to let go and just follow the master because I've done it. It's awesome. I want you to know it. That's how he closes up that passage. He's explaining to his audience that his eyewitness is accountant so that you can have the same joy he has, that you can know what it means to be loved like he has, how he had pressure of the world He had stuff around him. He had false teachers. He had fake news. He had issues. There was government issues for him too, extreme government issues, if you know anything about John's story. There's all these things going on inside of his life. And he's like, I just want you to know the master. I'm about to die, guys. This is what I want to tell you. Just know him. Know the master. It's almost like he's writing out his tombstone for us. He's writing a letter to say, friends, hear me right now. This has happened in my life. I want you to know him. I know him. Will you know him? He doesn't put any divide between Christians who believe because they saw Jesus and us. He actually didn't divide because the division was there among his time. The division was those who saw Jesus had that firsthand account and those who came later who had heard from those, there was a divide. In fact, the Apostle Paul was one of those people. If you read the books of the Apostle Paul, he continually goes over and over again, I have seen the Lord. He says it like, I'm an eyewitness. I got blinded on a road to Damascus because I was killing Christians. Y'all actually hung with them. You win, I lose. But hey, I was there. I saw Jesus. The Apostle Paul had a crazy conversion story, and then he writes the books, but people didn't believe him. Like, you you aren't legit, Paul, because you didn't see him. And he's saying, no, 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 I have seen him. I've walked with him. I've been with him. He's spoken to me. I'm legitimate. The Lord Jesus Christ has a relationship with John has a relationship with Paul, has the same relationship with you. Maybe it's time we stop looking at the people within our scriptures, these people, and depending on your religious background, we call them different things. We call them apostles. We call them uh, patriarchs, matriarchs. Depending on your background, we hold saints in certain places. We have this way of thinking that all these people are outside of a league than any of us could ever be, but the John says this, Brothers and sisters, you can have the relationship that I have had with the master. Paul calls us and says, you can have a relationship with the master just like I've had. Over and over again, the scriptures are calling all of us into that same world. When I walk with the Lord, my life looks a lot different than when I don't. I go in and out just like all of you. When I follow the scriptures... My life is full of joy in the middle of pain. When I don't follow the scriptures and I do what I want to do, 
I'm frustrated, irritated, and want to punch somebody in the face. So I'm on a good side today. You're good. But over here, when I walk with the Lord and I have this relationship, everything in my life looks completely different. I start to speak to you in ways of like, guys, I was in the word of God today. And like, oh, my word just blew my mind. And I'm like, I was in this prayer time with the master. And I just feel and I'm having this account because I was there. If you don't have those opportunities, do you know him the way that John's calling to us today? Do you have a relationship with God that even starts to take the first step to look like this? Because this is not a religious activity. As much as I love our building and all this, the thing that frustrates me is people are going to start to think of this as church. This is just a building, guys. This is our gathering place. You are the church. You are the eyewitness that Jesus Christ died and rose for you. It is your job to go make disciples that make disciples and to say, I know the living God and I want you to know him too. You are John. That's what he's saying to you today. But we have a lot to learn. There's a lot that John has to share for us. This is just the beginning of the book to say, I know something, guys. In the next few weeks, we're going to be digging deeper into what he wants us to know. And so to my challenge for both our church family here and online is this. Take the book of 1 John. If you have no quiet time, no reading time, or maybe you're new to Bible reading, we'll help you with that. Open 1 John and read as somebody who is in a court case saying this. I walked and talked with Jesus. Read what I'm about to say. I'm going to tell you some really important things. I was there. This is what he wants us to know. And I really, really love you guys. That's the book of 1 John. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.